Hello, you're listening to On Israel in Al Monitor, and I'm Ben Katsuki from Tel Aviv. The whole world is against us. This is the narrative in which uh, successive Israeli generations have been raised, justifiably so. A small Jewish state struggling for independence among a sea of hostile Arab neighbors. Israel was for years boycotted by the powerful pro-Arab lobby, international conglomerates, and dozens of countries. Israelis grew used to the antagonism or indifference they encountered at the United Nations and its many affiliated organizations over the years. The signing of uh, peace agreements with Egypt over 40 years ago and with Jordan almost 30 years ago did little to change this state of affairs. The 1993 Oslo Accords with the Palestinians created a breakthrough that gave rise to a brief period of hope and prosperity only to crash against the reality of the Second Intifada at the turn of the millennium. Israel has uh, undergone a sea change in terms of its uh, international standing over the past decade as it evolved into a technological power leading the world in science, medicine, cyber, and military intelligence. The violent uh, social upheavals uh, known as the Arab Spring the rise of political Islam along uh, with jihadist ideologies spread by Al-Qaeda and the Islamic State, and especially the historic Abraham Accords normalizing relations between Israel and the Arab states have all turned Israel from Cinderella into the bell of the ball. To be totally honest, Israel's special weapons, development skills, honed over years of wars, its sophisticated anti-missile defenses, spyware and cutting-edge intelligence tools have made it particularly attractive to many previously hostile countries that now court it openly. But Israel's uh, prestige took a heavy blow last week when uh, one of the Arab world's best-known and beloved reporters, Shirin Abu Akleh of Al Jazeera Television, was shot to death during the, an Israeli military operation in a Jenin refugee camp considered a, a hotbed of Palestinian Islamist uh, terrorism and home to the terrorists who carried out a recent wave of attacks in Israeli towns. Minutes after Abu Akleh's tragic death, social media was awash with the news. Fueled by sadness, anger, and deliberate and malicious incitement, the incident quickly evolved into an allegedly deliberate execution by Israeli soldiers of a courageous Palestinian freedom fighter. The news echoed around the world. Abu Akleh was a Palestinian-American citizen, magnifying the international condemnation of her killing. Israel was extensive, uh, has ex extensive experience with the incidents of so-called collateral damage during military operations. The most famous case, the shooting death of 12-year-old Mohammed Adura during a Palestinian-Israeli firefight in Gaza 22 years ago has become an iconic symbol of the conflict's uh, complexity and tragedy. But unlike Israel's slow and ineffective response at the time, the Israeli public uh, diplomacy machine swung into action just minutes after the shooting uh, of the Palestinian reporter. 
The military posted video footage of the incident from which uh, the origin of the bullet could not be terminated. From the Prime Minister on down, political and military leaders all expressed regret at her killing and promised a transparent investigation. Military Chief Kohavi appointed an investigative team. Israel also provided the U.S. with full details of the incident, after which the Americans joined Israel in calling on the Palestinians to agree to a joint autopsy, ballistic tests, and investigation in the presence of international experts in order to determine how Abu Akleh died. Although the Palestinian rejection of this proposal suggests it is something to hide, at this point, Israel cannot be cleared of blame. The best that can be said is that uh, she was shot deliberately. She was not, I'm sorry, a deliberate uh, target. The Army's interim investigation report put the odds of Abu Akleh being struck down by an Israeli bullet at 50-50. It uh, suggested two scenarios, both of, of which it considered uh, plausible. She was hit by an Israeli uh, sharpshooter who targeted an armed Palestinian near whom she was standing and missed, or by a Palestinian militant firing wildly at Israeli troops. Israel's uh, intense uh, public diplomacy efforts collapsed at Abu Akleh's funeral on Friday in Jerusalem. In a strange, unnecessary response, reflecting complete misunderstanding of the situation, Israeli police attacked mourners in an attempt to remove the Palestinian flag draped across their coffin. These two made immediate headlines, with even President Biden calling for an investigation of the police violence. Instead of uh, embedding its version that it was seeking an international probe to determine who shot the reporter and pointing out that dozens of journalists are killed annually in similar crossfire while doing their jobs, Israel now is being condemned for police brutality as well. Our guest today, a strategic uh, communication expert and analyst, would probably have been tearing out his hair had he still been in the public service positions he held as a military spokesman and as the first head of the National Information Directorate in the Prime Minister's office for almost 12 years. Yarden Vatikai joins us right after this short break. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Hagedorn, and I'm the State Department correspondent at El Monitor. And I'm Joe Snell. I'm El Monitor's video editor. Let's admit it, this past year has been difficult to stay on top of the news and sift through what's accurate and what's misleading. Let El Monitor help you. If you care about the Middle East and North Africa, you should consider listening to El Monitor's audio series, on the Middle East with Andrew Parasoliti and Amber and Zaman, and on Israel with Ben Caspi. You can now watch our newest video podcast, Reading the Middle East with Gilles Capel. You can subscribe to these series on your favorite podcast platforms. And through a host of free daily and weekly newsletters, we offer a range of perspectives with the highest journalistic standards. You can subscribe to these newsletters at almonitor.com. As an award-winning media service headquartered in Washington, D.C., Almonitor has a network of over 160 contributors around the world. So if you haven't done so already, be sure to visit almonitor.com, where you can find all of these newsletters and podcasts, along with first-class reporting and analysis.
I'm happy to introduce and welcome and say hello to my friend and colleague, Yarden Vatikai, who is the former director of the National Information Directorate in the Prime Minister's office, currently a strategic advisor. Shalom, Yarden. Thank you for joining us here in, uh, on Israel in Almonito. Shalom. Shalom, Ben, and thank you for having me this evening. This evening, and it's a very busy week in uh, Israel, in Jerusalem, in Ramallah, in the Middle East, uh, on issues that uh, you are very familiar with. And I want to uh, straightforward the dive with you to the incident. And I'm sure you will agree with me that Israel is, the middle, is in the middle of a perfect storm that began with the tragic death of uh, Shirin Abu Akleh and uh, culminated with the embarrassing photos from the funeral procession. Would you say that Israel is losing this public relation uh, battle? Could it have done things differently? First, to be in the middle of a storm is not new for Israel, of course. This is our uh, probably our routine. Our routine is a sort of a crisis routine. In Israel, you move from crisis to crisis, but of course, Everyone uh, and every each and one has its own uh, um, criteria. Now, this one is certainly a crisis. I would divide it into two phases, two stages. First of all, it's the first stage after the uh, uh, the death of the the tragic death, of course, of the Al Jazeera correspondent. I think that Israel responded swiftly and accurately. And I've been through many, many uh, crises in, in my professional life. And, and I think in this sense, this is uh, one of the, one of the uh, first one, not the first, but one of the ones that Israel responded effectively. Why? Because it did four things. First of all, it, it, um, uh, put, it, it, it had a press release in the first news cycle. And this is something we usually we, we don't uh, get to. Second, they, uh, we uh, uh, talked about what happened there and what we think could be even uh, the Palestinian blame for it. So it's another, you know, uh, uh, trying to uh, uh, put a needle in the, in the uh, Palestinians' um, uh, immediate response blaming uh, Israel. And third, the offering of the joint investigation was was uh, a very smart move, a very clever move, in my point of view, and therefore, uh, you know, it put the Palestinians in the corner in this sense, and I think it was it was good. And fourth, the uh, of course the announcement that Israel, the IDF, will take its own investigation as much as possible, and this resonated. What happened is that. Uh, you didn't see, except, you know, Al Jazeera, you didn't see headlines that talking about, you know, Israel killed the, uh, or Israel murdered, as the Palestinian says, the uh, reporter. In most of the, the mainstream media in the world, it was, you know, of course, a tragic, a tragic event. Of course, Israel is there. It's not, it's, it's, uh, it's a bad situation, of course, but, um, but it was pretty balanced in the um, international uh, media. What happened, this next stage was after, unfortunately, after the um, uh, funeral, where uh, the world was exposed to uh, the um, conduct of the police, of the Israeli police there, and it looked, I know that police has its own explanation, but, uh, you know, explanations aside and pictures aside, and pictures win in this sense, 
and the pictures were were pretty dire and created uh, inflicted uh, much damage on on the pretty controlled as, as I can see it um, event that uh, that began and uh, actually deteriorated it in public opinion uh, this is the uh, situation where we are right now let's go back and look at the event as a whole the world is uh, largely silent over the deaths of dozens of journalists every year around the world but the killing of the journalist in Janine sets off much a storm is there any way we can deal with this kind of double standard and one more thing how can Israel make the world understand that its soldiers did not go into Janine for fun they went there to risking their lives to catch Palestinians planning terror attacks against the Israelis <clears throat> of the kind that killed 19 people in recent weeks and the highly decorated special forces officer on Friday well you touch upon the uh, the main issues of, of the problem uh, the issues that were been dealing with for for dozens of years uh, I've I've been doing it for almost 30 years and you know it's it, It's not, it's not getting any easy in this sense. But uh, I'll tell you what, what, what I think and what is the best way uh, to do. First of all, Israel is the focus of attention. You know that Israel is one of the largest hubs of international journalists in the world, probably two or three. Um, and events even, uh, and during events, even many more come. So Israel in, is in the middle of attention. By the way, attention also of the Arab world, not only the Western or the uh, international community. So uh, this is the situation where we are as, as, as always. Now, there is a double standard and there is hypocrisy and there is everything. Uh, and we deal with it. I think we deal with it as, as, as efficient as we can be, but these phenomena and the, there is anti-Semitism. And there is uh, Israel and Jews hatred. There is a lot of uh, you know, negative phenomena which is uh, mainly directed towards uh, Jews in Israel and not towards anyone anybody else in the world. Uh, having said that, we do have to uh, conduct our operations in, in the best way. So we want to be as accurate as can be. Uh, we want to avoid uh, the uh, um, even during uh, uh, operations we want to avoid the um, uh, death of uh, people who are not combatants you know a couple of years ago the American uh, chief of staff Martin Dempsey said that Israel went to extraordinary length to avoid civilian casualties in in Gaza it was one in one of the um, uh, operations in Gaza so so we do we We do go to extraordinary ends. And I think most of the, you know, most of the governments understand this, most of the armies understand it. And some and some and 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 people in the public opinion also. But um, I think the next challenge or or one of the challenges in this event, in this crisis, is to um Uh, uh, to take ourselves um, a bit higher than the question of wh- whose bullet killed the uh, um, uh, the reporter why because what matters is the context it's not whose bullet is it and I you know we can go back to to previous uh, uh, events like Muhammad Adura in 2000 maybe want to go later on so the 
I would say Israel has to stress the context. The context is, is exactly what you said. We're like everyone else in the world, probably more than they were everyone else in the world. We're, we're fighting terror, terror, uh, monstrous terror who kills citizens, who kills children and, and, and women and, and men in Tel Aviv, in, uh, in El Ad, in, in the West Bank, wherever, doesn't matter. They kill him just because they're Israelis and Jews. So this is the context which is important. Now, uh, of course, there is a larger context of the Palestinian-Israeli issue and the uh, position uh, they're portraying of it in the um, public arena as Israel, mainly as Israel being, you know, the overriding force uh, uh, in the West Bank. So, so there is context to it. But what, what I think we should do is put the right context of fighting terror, endangering the lives of our own people. Just yesterday, uh, very sadly, uh, uh, one of our combatant, uh, excellent combatant soldiers uh, died in action exactly in this, uh, in this area. So this is the context we should pursue as much as we can. Talking about this, uh, Israel is a cyber power with uh, groundbreaking capabilities. Is there some way of building a cyber defense of the kind Israel has developed against enemy missiles to provide it with the protection against attacks uh, by endless streams of uh, fake news, propaganda, incitement, hatred, and shaming on social media? Can we build such an Iron Dome uh, in this field of, of uh, Hasbara and, and the social networks and shaming, etc.? There's a lot of technology we use, and, and we could use even more. But, you know, it's, it's, it's the free market of ideas. So you can't build here a technical uh, vehicle um, uh, to, in this sense, uh, uh, protect you as, as an Iron Dome. I, I don't think it works this way. First of all, it's people. There's a lot of, you know, technology, maybe bots, whatever. But it's, but, but it's mainly people. It's mainly reasoning to the hearts and minds of, of people, to explain the situation, to show the evidence, uh, to be uh, sincere as much as you can, to be transparent as much as you can. So in this sense, you, you want to target the hearts and minds of people, Co uh, computers or cybers or, or mechanical devices cannot really do it. It is uh, a market of ideas in which you have to do your best. Now, there is an ocean, a tsunami against Israel, and it's getting worse. There are, uh, you know, in, in researches that we have done in the government, we detected, you know, thousands, maybe tens of thousands of, of people. Now, I'm, I'm putting aside the issue of technology, but tens, thousands and tens of thousands of people working on the keyboard against you uh, with shaming and with disinformation and misinformation and counter narratives and lies and anti-Semitism, whatever, but there's a storm there. And, and we're, doing, we, we, we're doing what we can. I think we can do much more, but it's mainly human resource and, and uh, techno with technology, technology itself would not, uh, could not prevent um, uh, such a storm and could not protect us. You need people, people who can craft messages and put con and upload content 
uh, to these uh, um, uh, to the social networks, and of course uh, to not leave, of course, not not um, uh, not abandon the uh, old school media, you know, the television and networks, etc. I want to understand. You meant tens of thousands of people working against Israel on keyboards yes. right now, or usually generally? Gen day, generally, generally, on a day-to-day, -day, on a daily basis. On a day-to-day -day basis, you have thousands, and and sometimes a, a bit more. I mean, uh, during events, you have tens of thousands. We know sometimes we can even detect where they come from. It. Uh, it's it's a lot of people from you know Muslim countries. Uh, it could be in the Middle East or or other or, or other places, uh, but not only Muslims. Of course, it comes from Europe. You have thousands regularly and tens of thousands during events working against you. That's a huge, huge uh, uh, capacity of uh, people working against you. Uh, and therefore, uh, you know, it's it's hard. Uh, after all, we're a small country with uh, not too many people. We try to harness. We try to harness, for instance, Jewish communities abroad, uh, friends of Israel. But uh, again, uh, what works against us is uh, by far in a, a, a different scale, uh, bigger and much fiercer. And of course, you know, we use facts and figures, etc. We want to be credible. If something is not credible, you'll be the first as, a, as a, one of the uh, uh, prominent reporters in Israel, you'll be the first to criticize, you know, the government or the IDF. And we want to use this. And the other side does not play uh, on the same terms. Uh, let's summarize the, the, the death of uh, the Al Jazeera uh, correspondent in, in this question. You've been, if I remember, Right, you served as the IDF spokesman for international media when the Muhammad the Adura crisis broke on September 2000, and uh, Israel did took all the blame on itself in the first weeks, and then it was too late when we started to realize that there is a good chance uh, not that not Israeli bullets killed the, the the poor kid. It was too late. Do you think Israel learned the lessons from this uh, incident? Uh, as we watched it uh, uh, operating in, in the current one? Well, you know, everybody has his uh, scars, uh, professional scars. Uh, this is one of mine in this sense. I was, as you uh, recall, the IDF spokesperson for uh, international affairs. Uh, I think we had to, we did, Israel did two major mistakes there, or, or three, okay? One is sort of a take the blame. It wasn't exactly taking the blame, but it was, uh, but it was, but it was perceived as taking. We did the not blame. show up to the to the ball game. Yeah, something, uh, something like that. Second, the problem, the second problem is that we did not have a, a conduct an investigation immediately, thorough investigation. It could have, uh, you know, if you put all of your resources into this investigation, including intelligence, including, uh, you know, soldiers, everything, you would, have, you would have gotten probably pretty fast to, the, uh, to solving this mystery, which actually 22 years after is still a sort of a mystery. We don't know what happened there. And, and uh, third, that we were not really aggressive in, against, the, uh, 
against the Palestinian. By the way, j- just for uh, just for the sake of uh, of the story of history, you know, I received the first call from the uh, France Two reporter saying, uh, you know, I have a I have a video. I've uh, I've I've seen this video that the, the Israeli soldiers are targeting a, um, a teenager, a Palestinian teenager in Netzalim. I told the reporter, so please halt, please don't 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 broadcast it. Let me see it. Let the army see it. I know that in this area, exactly in this area today, there were crossfire between Palestinians, uh, gunmen, and uh, Israeli soldiers. And you know, I don't know what happened, of course, but but uh, probably he got caught in the crossfire in this sense. Don't blame Israel. And he said, no, I'm 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 putting it. I'm broadcasting it. You know, now in an in an hour, I want your uh, reaction as IDF spokesperson. I said, you know, I, we can't react like this, but this is uh, history. Uh, this is yeah. history. Uh, so uh, I, th- I think we, so, we learned we learned a lot, yeah. but uh, we, we, there is a still a, a way to do. Let, let's go to the maybe to the to the big picture. What what do you think are the main strategic communications challenges of Israel right now in 2022? Look, uh, first of all, we have our our Israel has its major campaigns, right? It has a couple of major campaigns. One of them is the or maybe the most prominent one in the last years is the Iranian campaign against the JCPOA the the uh, the um, nuclear agreement against uh, uh, you know Iran's conduct against Iran's uh, uh, terror so so the Iranian issue is maybe the, the the number one campaign of Israel number one challenge including including in public uh, communication not only in uh, in real life you know in uh, i don't know uh, uh, diplomacy and in other means it's also the, the biggest challenge in this sense vis-a-vis um, uh, the uh, public communication the second one is the palestinian one you know it's the it's the whole issue of palestinian who is to blame for the situation why isn't there peace Uh, we of course um, uh, uh, emphasize their support for uh, terrorists and and uh, and uh, hatred against Israel and you know the whole Palestinian issue. The third one is a much more positive uh, campaign positioning Israel as a hub of technology as cyber as you mentioned and, and you know whatever. So in this sense, we want to be positioned as, as an attractive country. You know, come, we're telling the, the world, come, you know, make business with us, come cooperate with us, come, uh, uh, come and let's come and go, go come together and, and open, uh, open the doors together. We're uh, opening the doors with the Arab, um, with Arab countries. So, so we have a couple of challenges and campaigns. Now, of course, there are counter cam- campaigns against us on a Palestinian issue, as we discussed. There's a huge, a huge delegi- de- delegitimization campaign launched by BDS, by the, by the Palestinian, you know, in the ICC, But in the international me, community. Isn't it very hard, maybe impossible, to win the, the Palestinian issue in this international uh, communications field when there is no negotiation? Because I think this is the first government 
that uh, declared there will be no negotiation with the Palestinians because of this uh, very weird uh, coalition where you have the extreme right and the extreme left. And uh, even, even Netanyahu, when you served under four prime ministers, even Netanyahu held at least twice negotiation with the Palestinians. And this helps you as a professional that tries to explain us in the world. Now, no, no negotiation. Can you win this battle? Well, well, of course, you touch on you touch on a, on a, on, a, on an important point here. And if there's no negotiations, there's no will for uh, negotiations or cooperation between the two entities, Israel and the Palestinians. It's a problem. You want to always show the world that Israel's hand is is uh, wants peace, right? We showed it through the Abraham Accords. We showed it. We try to show it vis-a-vis the Palestinians. By the way, we always emphasize, you mentioned Prime Minister Netanyahu. I, I, I served about 10 years with him. I've been in dozens or maybe hundreds of uh, diplomatic meetings with him, uh, with the, uh, you know, the top leadership of the world. Whenever we arrived, he arrived to the Palestinian cause. We had you know, like a PowerPoint slide of Abu Mazen saying we translated it to uh, to english of course we, uh, he said we will never recognize sorry we will never recognize the jewish state and we we and he always said you know this is the source of the problem why is there peace because they will never recognize our uh, <coughs> right to have a state anywhere in any boundaries it's not the 67 border that's a 48 in this sense so it's the establishment of israel so yes, it's difficult whenever you don't have communications with the Palestinians or negotiations, it is difficult. But nevertheless, we need to uh, um, stress the point uh, from our point of view, why is there this stagnation in this situation and the stagnation for so many years and any prime minister left, right, Sharon, Olmert, uh, Perez, Rabin, Bar- Bar- whatever, Barak, whatever, always they will never make peace with us because they will never they are never willing to to uh, uh, live with our existence here and to say it's okay we will never recognize the jewish state said abu mazen and this is the core of the problem so we try to stress it very 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 um, intensively in order to have the international community understand the 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 source of the situation here. And the fact that they refused always to the peace uh, offers and peace plans going from uh, the Clinton parameters in 1999 and the the, the, the Barak plan and then the Olmert and the John Kerry and whatever, they always said no or did not say anything. but but the, but the problem here, Ben, is that you know you you you've been for so many years covering and writing books about it. I've been uh, on the other side uh, as a spokesperson, but and we know the situation. But the world and people do not know the situation. They they know what happened today. They don't know. Most of the people do do not know the history. So it's a problem because we know the context. But, you know, public opinion, most of the people do not know the context. They see what they see on television today or on social media, and this is the reality. 
you know, don't bother me with what happened 30 years ago. So, so there is a situation here for us. The context is, is important for us and it's crucial for us. But in, in this world of social media, of, you know, so, so much information, so many sources, it's very hard to bring the context in because what you see, the, the picture, the caption you see right now is the context in the, con is the, context in the eyes of, you know, most of the people. But, uh, but by the way, there is a, another side that uh, the the world looks at the half half a million settlers uh, that uh, during the the years are now uh, living on the West Bank, what we call Judea and Samaria, and the the the, the many many Jews that are going and uh, up to the Temple Mount uh, under the Palestinian fury. So there is work for everyone. But I want to ask you a question that, that uh, I'm very interested in. We see after the Abraham Accords and, and other uh, process in the in the region, do you recognize the start, maybe the seeds, the first seeds of of counter movement in the palace in the, in the Muslim world, not necessarily against Israel, people from Saudi Arabia, from the Emirates, from Bahrain. Does do these people have uh, started to to gain some presence in the networks? Uh, first of all, of course, yes. The answer is, of course, yes. And not only, you know, for years, we've been, for instance, monitoring uh, the Saudi, the Saudi media. And you see a lot of, of uh, you saw since, I think, 2015, 16, you know, a couple of years ago, you saw, for instance, op-ed and articles, you know, against the uh, Palestinian signation. Why should they uh, uphold <coughs> the relationship between Israel and other Muslim countries? So, of course, you see that. Now, the Abraham Accords even turned, turned upside down the model, which most of the Western world thought that it's the only model that exists. And the model was that you have to make peace with the Palestinians. You have to solve the problem with the Palestinians in order to reach the Arab world. For the first time, uh, you know, for the first time since the um, uh, uh, agreements between us and, and Egypt and Jordan many, many years ago, uh, for the first time, this did not happen. And Arab states made peace with Israel without solving the Palestinian problem. And therefore, we're telling the world and the Arab world, you know, take action here. So don't, don't be um, kidnapped by the Palestinian agenda. You can make uh, a peace with us. You can have negotiations with us. You can have interest with us. You, you can have relationship. You can have commerce with us. You can have cyber. You can have everything. All of your interests and your interest is is uh, working with us and fighting terror together and fighting Iran together. Whatever. Why should you be kidnapped by the Palestinian agenda? And I think, of course, there's a turning point here. Now, uh, where we as as communicators are being. Um, are communicating to the Arab world for many years. You know, in the prime minister's office, which, which I served, there is a, a, a there's a professional field, which his whole his whole position is to communicate the, the prime minister's messages to the Arab world. In the army, and in, in and the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, of course, we're all doing a lot of communications to the Arab world. You see, there's no monolith there. First of all, there's a lot of interest. In Israel, and and it's not monolithic. Of course, you see a lot of reactions. You see a lot of negative reactions, but you see a lot of positive reactions. And the Abraham Accords 
um, uh, emphasize that and and um, and echo that in in many ways. Of course, you see much more. And and again, we know because we communicate directly through uh, uh, usually through the um, uh, social network with them, and you see reactions and people react. Yeah, not only by the way to the Middle East, also to to Muslim countries outside of the Middle East. It's very interesting, and I have so many, uh, so many questions, much more questions, but we are uh, almost out of time, so I'll settle with, with this last one. You worked with, as we said, four prime ministers in Israel and many governments. Uh, were strategic communications part of their decision-making process? It's a, it's, a, it's a tough question. I think it is the most important question from my point of view. I mean, we, I want the governments and prime ministers and organizations to incorporate the considerations of uh, uh, communications inside the, the, the um, decision-making process. Uh, I'll give you two examples from now, right? For it, during, I think, the launching of the investigation to the uh, of the um, of the uh, of Shireen of the Al Jazeera reporter i think that strategic communications was definitely incorporated inside but during the police's conduct the deployment even the deployment of the police i'm sure they did not take into account these considerations and if they would have taken into account it wouldn't have looked that way I'll give you two other examples, one from Israel and, uh, and, and another international one. The uh, uh, targeting the, um, um, the AP building in Gaza during the last operation, yeah. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure, and I know that these considerations were not taken into account and it was a PR disaster. It was a PR disaster. And there was and an another... operational, there was an operational reason Yes, but no one thought about the the that, disaster you're, you're talking about. Exactly, you know, the, 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 the President Biden called uh, our Prime Minister for the, I think it was for the first time after this after this event, and nobody got hurt there. Nobody was crashed even, because, but they, they didn't they didn't take into account another international I think an, an international huge event which wasn't uh, taking into account the considerations of communication was, as far as I can see, the, um, uh, the exit of the uh, uh, American forces from Afghanistan. Do you remember, of course, yeah. the, uh, um, the pictures of, the, of the, the mass of people running after these huge C-5 airplanes and, and some of them even, even uh, uh, holding them? And, you know, I'm sure that in this kind of event, if in the in the preparations the the considerations of the uh, strategic communications were taken into account you wouldn't have seen these um, very problematic very disturbing uh, scenes which uh, you know affect many many people because there is a message there so it is crucial it sounds like it's you know uh, theoretical it's crucial for governments not only for governments but but especially for governments to take into account these considerations to, to, for all of organizations to take into account because you want your policy to be uh, as much as communicative as possible toward your target audiences. Uh, sometimes it's been done well, and sometimes uh, uh, it inflicts great damage 
on your reputation. And this is what happened in, in many uh, incidents, unfortunately. And my way to say it, you said it, uh, you, you define it professionally. My way is uh, in 2022 or in the 21st century, the difference between a win and a loss uh, sometimes lies within the pictures and the videos. You win and lose wars in nowadays uh, in, in, in the media. Certainly. Yarden Vatikai, a former director of the National Information Directorate in the Prime Minister's, Israel Prime Minister's office. It was fascinating. And I thank you again for this talk here in Al Monitor. Thanks. Thank you. Hello, I'm uh, Gilles Kepel, professor at uh, Sciences Po and uh, Normal Sup in Paris and author of a number of uh, books and articles on the Middle East. Through my new podcast, Reading the Middle East on the award-winning media service and monitor, we will take a deep dive into the trends in the region with the authors and thought leaders who are shaping how we think about the Middle East. Reading the Middle East will be a fantastic addition to Al Monitor's outstanding podcast lineup, including On the Middle East with Andrew Paraziliti and Amber Inzaman, and On Israel with Ben Kaspit. You can subscribe on your favorite listening platforms. We look forward to your joining our conversation. for staying with us. I think it was a very interesting chat with the Yarden Vatikai, who did uh, all the Israeli work in, uh, in the media and this uh, communication war that Israel is trying to handle for 12 consecutive years uh, before, uh, and uh, even before he was uh, an army spokesman. So he knows what he's talking about and uh, actually gave a good mark to the Israeli uh, quick response, he said that uh, Israel responded uh, swift, swiftly and accurately in the first stage of this crisis, the killing of Yashorina Abu Akleh. It was effective and the, the Israeli response uh, and press releases were uh, in the first news cycle, which is very important not to give the other side uh, on the arena. But then came the funeral and what we call the strategic cup. Uh, the, the simple uh, policemen in the field, that uh, they have to protect the law. And in Israel, you cannot uh, hang a Palestinian flag, did a, a strategic uh, a damage. And Yerden said it, that uh, after the funeral, the, the whole world was exposed to the conduct of the Israeli police brutality. And Israel lost, uh, the, 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 I think it was an edge that it has in the first round. When I ask, asked him why, uh, when an, a, a, a Palestinian journalist is hit and killed in Israel, there is such a, a gigantic uh, reaction, a global reaction, while dozens of journalists are killed all over the world in crossfire exactly like this, and it, and it goes almost without, without uh, any uh, uh, similar uh, reaction. He said that, uh, that uh, we have to recognize that Israel is a focus of attention and is the largest uh, hub of foreign journalists uh, in the world. Uh, maybe, I don't, I'm not sure it's the largest, but one of the most uh, large hubs. And, but also there is a double standard and hypocrisy 
and maybe anti-Semitism. Uh, and after having said all that, we do have to conduct uh, our uh, operations. We do have to focus on facts, to be very, very, very accurate, and uh, try not to, uh, to have journalists killed. Although we still don't know who is responsible to the killing of, uh, of uh, Shirin Abu Akhil. Yosef Vatikri emphasized that Israel is facing, on a daily basis, a tsunami uh, against it uh, by tens of thousands of people working on the keyboards uh, uh, every day, 24-7. And when I asked him if technology, the Israeli edge in technology and cyber, etc., can produce us a, an iron dome against a fake and shaming and all these uh, damages. He said, no, uh, we have to fight it old school. We have to uh, consider and, and, and make, uh, be focused with facts and with the credible uh, uh, facts and evidence and truth. This is the only way. Hope you found it uh, interesting, and uh, as usual, I hope to find you here next week, next time, next pla uh, same place. Uh, on Israeli now, monitor, I'm Ben from Tel Aviv. Take care and bye-bye.